This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Ready? Yeah. Okay, Parsha Shlach, everybody, 5783. The Pusik is toward the end of the Maraglan. It says, The men died. Who? Motsie Dibas Haaretz all Who spoke badly about the land. Right? And it says, They died in a plague, Lifne Hashem, in front of Akarish Baruch. There's a lot of stuff here that needs to be worked on. One of the things is, what is the plague? One of the other things, one of the most obvious things here is, it's weird to die lifnei Hashem, to die right in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And then the question is obviously, why did they die in this specific fashion? We're also going to talk about the when, when they passed away as well. So there's a Gemara in Sota, it's in Lamed Hayamad Aleph, it's quotes Reish Lakish. These men died in a very peculiar way. He quotes Rabbi Shiloh, who said that their tongues blew up and expanded. Their tongues went out of their mouths, went all the way down to their stomachs, seemingly on the outside. I had a thought at one point that it was on the inside all the way down to their stomachs, but it seems it's on the outside of their mouths, went all the way down to their stomachs itself. Maggots formed from their tongues, climbed up their tongues, and either went in through their throat and went down to their stomachs, or climbed in through their belly button forged their way through their bellies into their stomachs themselves, and then other maggots came out and started to eat their tongues. So, you're eating? You're okay? You're still okay? As long as nobody's throwing up yet, then we're good, right? Seemingly, that's exactly what happened. Now, it could be, again, that it happened on the inside, but all of this is very strange wording. The whole Gemara has very, very strange wording right over here. I don't know how, if your tongue exploded on the inside and went all the way down the esophagus to their stomachs, that the worms went down there, how would they not die of asphyxiation? Like, they probably would have choked to death. I would assume they for sure wouldn't have been able to eat anything. So I can't tell you that it didn't happen from the inside, but it definitely doesn't seem like it happened from the inside itself. All this seems to be a drush from the words of this puzzle. The Baratora says, Ad Masai La'eda. Ad Masai Le'eda are the Rashi Tevis of Milishonam Tolaim Yatsu Litiburam Al Right? From their tongues, the worms, the maggots, came out and went to their stomachs because they spoke Lashonara. Now, in Koelis Rabbah, Peretes Lachiyabes, this statement of Reish Lakish and, Reb, and Rebbe Shiloh are not mentioned. He doesn't mention that at all. Instead, the Gemara asks, what did they do? What happened over here? And it says, Reb Shimon Bar Yochai says, their limbs began to fall off. If that sounds familiar to you, if anybody's read Navi and they've done Yiftach, Yiftach's daughter, once she got her punishment, the punishment that Yiftach received for not matering the nedder he made about his daughter was that all of his limbs came off of his body. That's the first one that's mentioned right over here. The next one is, well, that's called the Magev and Zechariah Parakiyadalit, and Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak in Sota argues and said that they died through Askara. Askara is a choking disease where they literally did choke to death. I guess that could be if the tongue went down the inside itself, but they couldn't breathe, they choked to death, that's that. In Koalas Rabba, it's quoted in the name of the Rabbanon. The Rokeach and the Rabbeinu Ophraim both point out that the Magev Lafana is the Gematria of 300, which is the same Gematria of Huba Askara. Torah Tamima adds that Askara is mentioned in Shabbos Dablamet Gimel as a punishment for those who speak Lashon Hara, which works out really well. They spoke Lashon Hara, therefore they got Askara. Either way, one of these three deaths, the weird tongue with the maggots thing, or Askara, which they choked to death, or their limbs fell off their body. One of those three punishments happens. And the Abarbanel, on the other hand, 
explains that he says, in Pshat, all ten of them died through a plague. It was obvious to everyone there that it was because they spoke Lashon Hara, but it was a plague that affected those ten people and no one else in Klal Yisrael. They literally died bimagefa in a plague in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Either way, the Ibn Ezra says all ten of them died together. Whatever it was, whether it was Askara, the tongue thing, plague, anything, they all died the exact same death, not one by one, but all the exact same time. Rashi also explains... And this was Mida Kineged Mida, as we all know, measure for measure. He brings the answer to above, and he says, that's why it says, Bimagefa, right? The wording is with, I should say, Bamagefa, with a Patach and not a Shva. That it's Bamagefa, the famous Magefa, the famous plague, Lifnei Hashem, a very specific type of thing that showed how inappropriately they acted, and therefore they were punished because of how inappropriately they acted. The Rechaim HaKadosh says it was Lifnei Hashem because Hashem was still among the people. HaKadosh Baruch Hu was there, so to speak, to be with the people as all this was happening. The Mashchis, with the Malacham Mashchis, the Malacham Avis, whoever did this, was there to be able to affect them right there. This is not what happened to Aaron and Miriam, right? When Aaron and Miriam spoke Lashon at the end of last week's parsha, at the end of Baaloscha, HaKadosh Baruch Hu had stepped away, so to speak. When HaKadosh Baruch Hu left, then they got Saras. This punishment happened Lifnei Hashem. And the difference between them is, is that they were true tzadikim, right? Aaron and Miriam. These men, the Meraglim, were not. So therefore, they did not deserve for HaKadosh Baruch Hu to, so to speak, turn away. Even with Hashem there, they still died. Even with HaKadosh Baruch Hu around, they still got around there. Yonis, Targum Yonason, by the way, just adds a little bit to what Rashi said before. I should have added this up above. But either way, the worms came from their intestines, seemingly from something they ate. And then afterward went all the way consuming their tongues completely, as well as their gums and their palates. Everything was gone from those maggots that came through. There are such things to do, though, by the way. There is bacteria that a person can have that you can swallow that does go in your stomach and survives, just sits in your stomach for weeks, months, maybe even years, and slowly but surely get really, really big. There are famous maggots that are supposed to form these types of like long tapeworms that come from eating pig that was not cooked properly. If you have it like undercooked pig, then there's these little things that can form and they come inside your body and they can pull them out and they could be inches or even feet long. They're absolutely disgusting. There's a really crazy story about a Jew who became a Balchuva because he was in India and he went there and he had this worm in his stomach and the doctor, who was an Indian doctor, said to him, I have no idea how you could have gotten this because the only way you can get it is by eating undercooked pig and Jews don't eat pig, right? And the guy's like, right. So he got the muster from that Indian doctor and now he's Rebel Yashiv. So like those are the types of, you know, I don't know who, anyway, but either way. But why maggots? Why maggots? Why did that happen? So the Be'er Basad and the Paris Shammai both say that a worm's power is in its mouth. As you all know, you've seen a worm before. You probably haven't noticed that it has a mouth, but every worm, it all, all it has is a mouth. The rest of it is just a random body. On the inside, there's stuff, but the eyes are basically useless. The ears are basically useless. They may have senses that we cannot see, but their mouths eat everything. And worms are unbelievably important for the dirt. What they do is they go through the dirt, they swallow the dirt, and when they take out the dirt, when they go to the bathroom, that dirt is now fertilized. They're really, really good for the ground. People want worms inside their ground. But the power, without a question, is inside the mouth. Therefore, it's an appropriate punishment for someone who spoke Lashon Hara, who didn't use his mouth properly, to be able to say, this guy should be like a worm. He should be eaten by a worm. 
because the worm's power is in its mouth itself. The Osnayim Torah said these men tried to convince all the people around that the power is in their own strength. We can do it. We will be able to. Or we won't be able to. It's all up to us. They wanted them to forget that Klau Yisrael's power was HaKol Kol Yaakov. That Yaakov Avinu was the one who gave them everything they could. Their davening could break down large mountains, towers, could take down massive giants. But the Meraglim denied that. They said, no, they, we don't have that power. No one has that power. That was their line. The power that we inherited from our Avos, from Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, is by far our power to daven, our power to use our mouths correctly. And when they weren't used correctly, when everything happened, then the worms and the maggots came, whose power is in their mouths, to show us that's our power. Yadayim Yaday Esav. But Akol is Kol Yaakov. That's the idea why it specifically had to be maggots and worms. Now, okay, the tongues now are understandable. They spoke Lashon Hara. Why the stomachs? Where did the stomachs come from and where did that be? The Kliyakar says there's a Pusik that describes what happened here in Tehillim, Perak Nunchas. In Pusik Dalid, he says, Zoru Rishayim Meirechem, that the Rishayim chose wise, unwisely from the womb. I'm paraphrasing. They made a mistake even from their mother's stomach. And they spoke out lies. Says the Kliyakar. When a child is in its mother's stomach, it doesn't use its mouth. It uses its belly button to take in all the food it's supposed to get. The belly button turns into the mouth for any baby. And when a baby is born, obviously they cut the umbilical cord. That part of the body closes itself up. You can no longer get nourishment from your belly button, no matter how hard you try. And your mouth opens up, and you have the ability to go through your throat down into your stomach. And that changes. That goes from when a person's a baby up until when they're an adult, right, or when they're a child. It changes from the stomach being able to take in the food to the mouth being able to take in the food. So he says, these people, says the Kliyakar, were so evil that even from their mother's womb they were destined for evil. And if you ask, where's Bechira? Everybody has Bechira and everybody could have chosen differently, but they didn't. And because they didn't choose differently, they ended up being the people that they were. That is why their tongues, Lush and Hara, that they spoke with their mouths, reached their stomachs and the maggots went in from the outside of their belly button to show that they had sinned with their mouths not only now but even in the womb. That they had planned on doing this evil even from then. Now, I don't think the Kliyakr is supposed to be taken literally here. I think what he means is is that there's a big mock locus when the Maragla made this decision to do all this. Like Rashi says, when they first left, they were kosher. But then it says, that when they came, they left. That when they left, they went with the same evil thoughts that they had when they ended up coming back. It's possible, though, and he means before the womb, and it's just a remez over here, is that they were thinking about this before they even went. They had these ideas of why they wanted to do what they did, spying out the land to say that it's evil, before they even went. It's like even in the womb they had these thoughts they were still thinking about these things before and I think that's the basic idea there's another answer and this answer is given by everybody so the Be'er Basada the Ben Yoyada the Marsha the Be'er Torah, they all say that Eretz Yisrael is Tibor Haaretz you look at any map and you can see that Eretz Yisrael is literally right in the middle 
You have Europe up here, you have Africa over here, you have Asia there, and Eretz Yisrael is right in the middle. It is the belly button of the ground. It's the stomach of the ground, so to speak, as if it's right in the middle. Speaking Lashnahar about such a place would allow then the punishment to be in the Tibor, in the stomach. So we've explained a lot over here. We've explained the maggots and the worms. We've explained why it hits the stomach. We've explained the mouth, the tongue, since it's obviously Lashon Hara. But then there's a Gurarie. The Gurarie says a really weird answer, and it's similar, but not exactly like the Kliyakar. He says, we all form, and you can see this, if you ever go to the field, ah, I'm not suggesting it, but if you go to the Science and Industry Museum, if you're not a Kohen, and you want to go in and see the baby exhibit, they have a ton of dead babies. And it's really unfortunate because everybody, obviously, they were aborted babies. They are fetuses and babies that were all over from every stage of development. But it happens to be that once this happened and they have them all sitting there, you can see the development of a baby over the period of nine months. And it's an unbelievable exhibit. They have a video at the end that shows you from the beginning till the end, what happens as the baby forms. And Chazal called it that it starts from the stomach. There is a middle ground behind the baby, and slowly but surely, the arms form and branch out, the legs form and branch out, become the fingers and the toes. The head starts pulling out. You don't start from a brain. You technically start from the heart, right in the middle. And what Chazal would call the Tibor. I have no idea how Chazal would have known this. There's no way to have known this until probably a hundred years ago when they were starting to figure this out. Yeah, what's up, Shane? Oh, I can go into that another time. But it, I'm not going into the biases, biases of the spies this year. There's so much. I think I have a shir on it online that gives 27 answers, and that's only from the Rishonim. That doesn't include any of the Achronim. There are so much. Suffice it to say, they were great people. They made a major, major mistake. But I'm not going into that. So anyway, so the Gorari says that they form from this Tibor Aretz. There's the stomach, so to speak, of the baby. And then everything branches out. Everything comes from there. He says, Dibor is like the fruit of a person. And if a person is like a tree, then one could say that the root of a person is considered the middle part of the body where everything comes from. The arms and everything are the branches that come out, right? The Dibor is the fruit that grows from that person itself that's able to be there. And therefore, if a person uses their mouths improperly and speaks about things that they shouldn't, like speaking Lashon Hara, then, especially about Eretz Yisrael, the punishment goes down to the Shoresh of that person, the root of that person. Where is the root of that person? The stomach. So the Tibor is what gets it when a person speaks that Lashon Hara because everything stemmed from it. That's the idea behind it. Since they went ahead and they spoke Lashon Hara, they got those maggots that went into their stomachs to destroy them completely. That's the basic idea behind the Gurari itself. There's another Siporno that says Amida Kinagamida. It's a little bit differently. They claim the land was Eretz Ocheles Yoshvalhi. That the land ate, consumed its inhabitants. It was a land that plagued the people, caused them to die. As soon as they walked in, look, everyone's dying. They walked in. Hashem was doing it so they wouldn't recognize they wouldn't recognize there were spies around. But they saw it as the land is eating its inhabitants. So the Sporno says, so they caught that plague and they died by a plague when they came back from Eretz Canaan. They claimed that the people were dying from a plague and they were with them at the time when that plague was happening. So when they came back and claimed it, 
the claim became true about them. And they died from that plague that they claimed the people had. Isn't that crazy? Because obviously there was no plague. HaKadosh Baruch Hu just made them die on that. But because they said it, therefore the Medikin Agamida, they got that immediately. Okay, so that's that. There's but skipping that for right now. The Ramban says that they deserved a horrible death because they completely lied. This is a bit of a machlokis between the Rishonim. Did the Meraglam tell the truth but exaggerate? Did they tell the truth and therefore the people exaggerated it? Or did they lie completely? The Ramban's of the opinion that they lied completely. They said, Eretz Ochel Yoshvahi, that it's a land that consumes its inhabitants. That was never so. And they knew that and they lied about it. There were tens of thousands of soldiers, right, of different people, not more, that fought Yoshua and the people that ended up going into Eretz Canaan. Clearly it was not a land that's Ochelaz Yoshvahi. That's definitely there. They also claimed that these giants are stronger Mimenu, which sounds like they were saying than us, but the Chazal say that they really meant they're stronger than God. That these giants are actually more power, powerful than HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that was an ultimate lie. They never should have said such a thing. Such a thing is ridiculous to say. And for that, says the Ramban, they deserve to be punished in the worst possible fashion for lying in such a way. The Paneach Raza points out that this is a Magefa Lifnei Hashem. Yudke Vavke is a shame of Rachamim. It's a good name. It's a name of where everything good happens. It sounds like even though Moshe Rabbeinu's tefillah allowed their punishment to be given through Midas Rachamim and not through Midas Adin, and it was accepted. Hashem said, Salachti Kid I forgave them. That's what Hashem said. Nonetheless, they received this terrible punishment because they deserved it from how badly they sinned before and how bad that Lashon Hara was. There's a couple other things over here. The Malbim says a famous line that Lifnei Hashem, because not only they died in this world, says the Malbim, they died in the next world as well. This is a Machlokas in the Gemara Sanhedrin, a Mishnah Sanhedrin, Kufchasim and Aleph. If they have Olam Haba or not, do the Meraglim end up coming back or not? According to the Malbim, they're gone forever. The Gemara understands that from a heckish of sorts. The Malbim says it's from the Pusik. They died Lifnei Hashem, which means they can't be in front of Hashem. They don't have Olam Haba. That's the idea that he says over there. There's an itziv that says, it, it indicates that Lifnei Hashem means even though everyone knew they died through Hashem, it wasn't just a freak occurrence. These were, they were not only punished for speaking Lashon but also because they caused B'nai Yisrael to sin and everything out there. Now, again, we have no idea exactly what the sickness was. We know that it was Midi Kenegin Mida, right? We can assume that such a thing would happen even nowadays. There's a famous story that's brought up in the Igris Moshe, which I'm not going to go through right now, but you can look it up in Chilech Ches in page 15, where he said, it's in like the Hakdama, where those who put the Sefer together, it was written posthumously after Rav Moshe passed away, those who put it together talk about this guy who was in this town, uh, Islastak, I forgot what the name of this town was, but where Moshe was a Rav, outside of the town where Rav Moshe was a Rav when he was still in Europe, and that this guy had a weird sickness where his tongue was blown up in his mouth, and he claimed that the reason why it happened is because he spoke badly about the Benos Lot, and the daughters of Lot said, because you spoke Lashon Hara about us, they explained themselves, but after they said, because you spoke that Lashon Hara about us, you're going to die in the same way as the Meraglim. So Ramosha said that that was a true story. It's there, it's in Chelek Ches of Degris Moshe, page 15. It's a very famous story. So the assumption is that would happen, right? There's another story of a man who was hired by the Chafetz Chaim 
to sell his farm. The Chafetz Chaim, in the beginning, you know, when he was still younger, he would go from town to town to town to sell the Chafetz Chaims, and eventually the Mishnah Burras. The Mishnah Burras was written a little bit after he wrote the Chafetz Chaims, and all the other farm that he had, Shemir Salash, and etc. He had all those different Torahs Abayas. From when he got older, he decided to give it into the hands of other people. They would go from town to town and selling the Sfarim. And what they would do is they would go inside a certain shoal. They would speak there. And after they would speak, something about Lush and Hara, something about whatever it was. And then they'd say, we have these Sfarim to sell, right? And the money would go back to the Chafetz Chaim. They would get a little bit for doing their job. They would get paid for doing that. That was that. There was one of these Darshanim who was well known for adding in a lot of jokes to his speech. Obviously, he was super popular. Everybody liked him. But the Chavetz Chaim felt that it wasn't good. For his farm, he didn't want jokes. He wanted everything super serious. And they told the guy that the Chavetz Chaim is not happy with how you're speaking if you could tone it down a little bit. But the guy absolutely refused, and he wouldn't do it. He said, absolutely not. Eventually, they got into a fight. I don't know the details of this. It's a little sketchy to me. But either way, either the guy didn't give the money on time, or they asked for the money in a different way. Something ended up happening, and they got into a fight, and the guy said, you know what, I'm not going to sell this farm anymore, right? So not only did he not pay for this farm that he owed the Chafetz Chaim, right? But not only that, but he wasn't selling anymore. The Chafetz Chaim heard about that, right? But he didn't care. Obviously, the Chafetz Chaim was a massive tzaddik, and just said, like, I, it doesn't matter to me. It's nothing, nothing, none of this matters. At the end, the man's wife came about a year and a half later, running to the Chafetz Chaim, and said, my husband, his tongue blew up in his mouth. He can no longer speak, and all of our parnasa was based on his speech. Rebbe, please help. And the Chavetz Chaim obviously davened for her, and obviously gave her a donation of whatever money he had to make sure, even though he probably was owed money from this guy, but you can see that this type of sickness can happen again. I am not telling you that every time somebody has a blown-up tongue, it's because of Lashon Hara. But I will tell you, it's probably that. I would assume that that's the reason why. I don't know too many people that have had it, but it is it is a crazy thing. I, I was speaking to somebody about this type of sickness to see if it existed today. I, I can't find it. I, again, I only spoke to two different doctors. I didn't speak to a ton, and I didn't do WebMD. I'm sure I'd have found everything if I went down there. But like when I did ask these doctors, they told me that there is a drug that people take nowadays for nausea. It's not... It's not as popular anymore. There's a lot better ones. But in the 80s, like this was the thing to take. The, one of the side effects is that you think your tongue is blowing up in your mouth. You feel like it's blowing up completely and you can't tell. But you look at your tongue and it looks normal. You look in a mirror and it, it's fine. Everything's fine. But you feel like it's taking up your whole mouth and you can't talk. It's like that. And you can't talk. He said he took it once because he had nothing else to give. There was something, whatever it was, he took it once himself and he felt it. He felt like the whole thing was there, like it was blowing up on his tongue. There is something right over there. There's a lot of other stories over here. There's also over here. And there was a man in the 1800s who was a malshin against the Jews. He ended up getting being caught by the Polish mafia. They cut out his tongue. Not that, that, bad things altogether. So either way, Ramosha wonders why the Meraglim were punished for speaking Lashara when they seemingly had a much bigger sin. Kfira. They, they didn't listen to Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu told them to go spy out the land, and they did it in a bad way. They claimed that the giants were greater than God. How in the world were they not punished for that? They're punished for Lashon Hara, but they're not punished for this? So he answers, Lashon Hara is worse than Kfira. <laughs> this is the answer that Ramosha gives. It's worse. Why? Because it, le- it leads to every other sin in the world. Speaking Lashon Hara is done for zero toelis. 
You get nothing out of it. Usually you don't even get kavod. You're just telling over a story, which means it's simply a destruction of someone's midos. When somebody's midos are destroyed, you can't expect such a person to do anything. Even kfira is usually for a reason. It's done out of taiva. You have a desire for something. At least you had a desire for something, so you did something out of it, and you were kofar. Okay, yeah, you shouldn't, but at least that's something normal that a person can expect. But Lashnara makes no sense at all. Why is he doing it? Says Ramosha. So it's worse to speak Lashnara than it is to be a kofer. That was his line over there. I don't know how that stands up in court. I'm not sure how that goes exactly, but it's a crazy line. He explains what ends up happening. He says, the idea behind a taiva is that when you have a taiva to do something, your taivas take over your body. You can't think anymore. And you're almost like an ones. It's almost like an onus, where you can't think to the point where, well, I, this is the obvious thing to do, and that's that. If you do something for no reason whatsoever, your mind is clear. When your mind is clear, you can think, you can make the right decisions, and yet still we see that people don't make the right decisions and do the wrong thing over here. That's the reason why someone who worships a Borazar is like someone who committed every single sin. His love for absolutely nothing, the Borazar that's there, would be willing to do anything out of that. It's almost like Kfira is one thing, but getting involved with Lashon Hara or something like Avodah Zarah, which seemingly has no benefit whatsoever, would lead you to everything else out there. Okay, now we get into one of the strangest things out there. Does anybody know that there's a fast day for the day that the Meraglim died? Do you know this? Right, because nobody does this simon in Shulchan Aruch. There is a simon in Shulchan Aruch that deals with the other fast days that none of us do. It's not about Shivasa Tammuz and Asar Bateves and Tainus Esther and Asar and uh, what am I missing? And uh, Tzom Gedalia. Obviously not Tishabov and Yom Kippur, right? It's just a bunch of other fast days and it just gives a list of all these days where something happened. And one of them, right, is based on this Targum Yonas in Ruzio on this Pasuk. Targum Yonasin says that the Meraglam died on the 7th of El. 7th of El. Now, the Meraglim came back on what date? Does anybody remember when they came back? Come on, you know this. What? Well, the 8th of Av. Right? The 9th of Av is they cried and whatever it is, and then they were punished on the 9th of Av. But they came back on the 8th of Av. They died on the 7th of Elul? That's a month later. Why in the world did they die one month later? And according to Targum Yonatan says it straight out. Not only that, the tour in Orachaim Simon Tov Kuf Pei, and this is mentioned by the Shulchan Aruch as well, says there are certain days that we're told to fast that are based on the Torah and includes the 17th of Elul. Now, there's more on this later, why it's the 17th, not the 7th. But he says the 17th of Elul is the day the Meraglam died, which is more than a month later on. Right? It's also brought in Megillus Tinus, the famous Brysa, with all the different days that we celebrate and that we fast for. This 17th of Elul is mentioned there as the date that the Meraglam died. How in the world did they not die on Tishabov? What was going on over here? Chuvis Arush, Klau Yadalit Simon Chavbez, he wonders about this, asks the exact same questions. Right? He says, it sounds like they died immediately, not weeks later. And he suggests that maybe it's other people who spoke Lashon Hara. The Meraglim died on Tishabov. 
But other people spoke Lashon Hara about Eretz Yisrael, not the Meraglim. They died on the 7th or 17th of Elul, and that's why we're fasting on that day. That's what he says over there. It's a crazy answer, but that's what the Rush says. The Meraglim died in Tishabov, right? But they died somewhere else. Obviously, Targum Yonason would argue on that. He says straight out the Meraglim died on the 7th of Elul. But nonetheless, this is a bit of a machlokas. The base Yosef, Rav Yosef Cairo, he brings up this rush and he thinks that the punishment of the Meraglim, right, lasted for almost 30 days. Can you imagine this? For 30 days, their tongue was blowing up. Perhaps it grew every single day. And every single day for 30 days, it got a little bit longer and longer and longer and longer until on the 30th day around the 7th or the 40th day, the 17th of Elul, their tongues blew up, maggots came from it, and it went into their system, either through their belly button or up through their, 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 up through their mouths, etc. But that's what it refers to. Says the Beis Yosef, it was a 30 or 40 day punishment. Absolute Gehenna that they had to go through for speaking Lashnahara. That's what he says. He says, when What's the other guy? The other Misei Midbor, he says, the people that died in the desert, they didn't die the same death. They died a Misa that's called Mishchal Bin Samichalba, like pulling a hair out of milk. That's supposed to be the best type of death of the 83 deaths that are mentioned in Brachos, right? That could be the best possible right over there, a form of possibly even Misas Nishika. But the Miraglim, they died horribly with a 30 or 40 day suffering death. However, he then wonders, why are we fasting? What in the world are we fasting for? We fast on some Gedalia because a great Gadol passed away. We fast on, some people fast on the first of Av because Aaron Echoing passed away, although it's a problem, it's Rosh Chodesh. The tenth of Nisan because Miriam passed away. There are days that we fast because great Gedolim passed away. Why are we fasting on the seventh or the seventeenth of Elul because the Miraglim passed away? That's a, that's a, we should have a holiday, says the base Yosef. We should be celebrating. We should bring out a cake and be like, the Meraglim died today. Hey, everybody, we don't speak Lashonara about the Meraglim. We'll take some cake. Everybody will grab some. That's what we should do. What are we doing? So he says, maybe they did tshuva. So why do we cry? Because the tshuva wasn't accepted. Because they were so bad that their tshuva was too late and therefore the tshuva wasn't accepted, were so upset that their tshuva clearly wasn't accepted and that they don't even have a chilek in Olam Haba, that we fast. That we're so sad that these people didn't have it. Paris Yosef brings up Yitzhak Stern who says their tshuva couldn't be accepted because they caused others to sin. And when you cause others to sin, you're machti as a There's nothing you can do. You can't get back out of that. There's no way you can fix yourself from such a thing. The Mogin Avram brings these words of the Beis Yosef and he wonders how they had the opportunity to do tshuva, right? And he concludes they must have been at tzaddikim at the end of their lives. And he even quotes the Shlach Kadosh who says the Meraglim were all great tzaddikim. Now that's a Pella. Again, we all know the Meraglim were great tzaddikim before all this happened. But say they were great tzaddikim when they died and just their tshuva wasn't accepted because they caused all of an ace all to sin. That is a crazy line. But because of that, says the Beis Yosef, that's why people fast. They'll fast on the 7th or 17th because of that. Rav, Rav Moshe, in Igris Moshe, it's in Orachaim Chelekimol Simen Yodalev, says everyone should think to themselves that if the Meraglim, who are very great men, weren't Zoha to do tshuva at the end of their lives, because it didn't go through, it was just too late, 
then every single one of us should worry that we won't be able to do tshuva at the end of our lives. There's that thought in the back of our head, like, it's not that big of a deal. I'll still have, like, vidui at the end of my life. Says Ramosha, if the Maraglim didn't get it, you might not either. They were great men. We're not as great as them. If they couldn't get that far, there's no way we can. But, I will tell you, there's an Imriamis. The Imriamis says the Maraglim refused to do tshuva before they died thinking that they had always made the right decision, and Shia, obviously, whatever that decision was, is a time, it's for another time. And that's why they have no chilek in Olam Haba. They refused. The Bach, Bayez Chodesh Rav Yol Circus, he says that the reason why we fast on this day is because all of B'nai Yisrael were punished because of them. They listened to the Meraglim for the next 39 years they spent in the desert, because of this Moshe Rabbein who couldn't enter Eretz Yisrael, because of this, the whole Misei Midbor, the Dora Midbor passed away. This is a day we fast, not because the Meraglim died, but rather because we didn't go to Eretz Yisrael. That's how the Bach puts it, and that's that. As a form of tshuva, they decided to fast from that day on. As a timeout, I don't understand this Bach at all. We fast on Tishabav. One of the five reasons brought by the Gemara and Tainus is because of this. The Meraglam is one of the reasons. I'm, I have no idea what the Bach is talking about. Like, we fast on the 7th or the 17th because we didn't get our Tisrael. That's exactly what they're fasting for on Tisha B'av. It's one of the five. It's the first reason why they fasted on Tisha B'av. I really have no idea. They made two days for this? Why would they choose the day the Meraglam died? To, I, it just it doesn't make any sense to me at all. But obviously the Bach knows a lot more than I do, and I'm probably just reading it wrong. It's just a very strange thing to me. Now the exact date, as I told you, is up for debate. The Targum Yonas and Megillas Tainus Shuvas Arash Bahad, that's the Baal Hilchos Gedolos, and the Beis Yosef, all bring the date of the seventh of Elul. However, the Kolbo and Simon Samach Gimel, the Tour and the Shulchan Aruch. As a side note, the Tour quotes the Bahag, and the Bahag in all of our texts say the seventh. But the Torah quotes the Bag as the 17th, and the Shulchan Aruch is the base Yosef. The base Yosef is one of those that say it's the 7th. So in the base Yosef, he says it's the 7th, and in the Shulchan Aruch, he says it's the 17th. Something's wrong here. It's the same person. I know that's impossible. How could he write two books? But he did. And in both of the, if you have something like that, I have no idea what you do here. There's something very strange. And the Bach says the 17th. The Elia Rabbah says it's a mistake. Everyone means the seventh, but it's hard to know why he why why he says that. I, I, I'm just not sure exactly. It kind of makes sense because the tour is misquoting, and the base Yosef already said the seventh, and the Shulchan Aruch wouldn't argue on that. The Bach, I have no excuse for, but I'm very confused as to what exactly the date is. Yeah. Obviously. I just don't like saying that unless I can see like an old manuscript that showed that it wasn't that way. We have existent manuscripts of the Shulchan Aruch. It's not like they don't exist. So we'd be able to see what it says in the originals. I don't know, because I'm not that rich. But for those who have it, it would be an amazing thing to see. Panam Yavos says it was the 17th. And it makes a ton of sense. If you count from the 8th of Av to the 17th of El. There are 40 days. How many days did the Meraglim spend in Eretz, in Eretz Canaan spying out the land? Take a wild guess on this one. You've got it. It's 40 days. So the 40 days represent the 40 days. Somebody did Shnai Mikra this week. But 40 days represent the 40 days that they spent 
in Eretz Canaan and lying about the land. The Chassam Sofer also brings that up. The Chassam Sofer Torah brings that up. Where he says, they must have been punished on that very day. Because otherwise, why would the Mapilim, the people who like wanted to force their way into Eretz Canaan right after that, they were like, no, we're going anyway. And Moshe's like, don't do it. And they're like, no, no, we're going in. If they weren't punished immediately, what were the Mapilim thinking? It must be, says Chassam Sofer, that their punishment mamish started on that day and their tongue started blowing up and it finished on the 40th day because otherwise nobody would have thought anything was wrong. They would have thought like, okay, something's weird here. Why aren't these people dying? In his drushos, there's something crazy, okay? I'm just going to go through this really quickly because I don't fully understand it. The Chassam Sofer explains that by Matan Torah there was a Tal Shel that fell from the heavens above. It's in Shabbos, Pechas, and Mabez. It's represented by the name Kuzu, Chav Vav, Zayin Vav. Gematria of 39 altogether, which is Lifnei Hashem. Lifnei Yud Kei Vav Kei. The letters before Yud, and then a He, and then a Vav, and then a He, is Chaf Vav Zayin Vav. It's actually like the letters afterward, regardless. But it's the Kedusha's Atal, right? That Kedusha's Atal would not allow them to die. And had they had that forever, no matter what they would have done, after Matan Torah, they never would have died, right? That was going to be that way. The Miraglim sin caused each day that they were in Eretz Canaan to be like a full year. So the 39 days took away the Kedusha for them to be able to die from that name of 39. 39 days after Tishvav is the 17th of Elul. That's why it says, Vayamusu Lifnei Hashem. Okay? I'm just doing that quickly. That's a weird Chassam Sofer, but it's an awesome Chassam Sofer. Lent, at the very, very end, notwithstanding all of these great Pirushim, there's a Megalia Mukos in Parsha Shlach, Jewish Gimel, page 726 in my version. There's a bunch of different versions of the Megalia Mukos. says that the Meraglim died immediately. He's very clear about this. He says it clearly, they died on that day. I looked up the Megalia Mukos to see in the index to see if he ever brings up Zion Elul or Yud Zion Elul and he doesn't. He does not bring either one. Megalamukos was 300 years ago. He's a Makubal, lived 300, 340 years ago, right in Poland, right? Does not bring it up. When they picked up rocks, to stone either Yoshua and Kalev or Moshe, I don't know, whoever they tried to stone, Hashem immediately killed them in a plague that happened at that moment. So the plague was right then. They were already dead before Moshe Rabbeinu pleaded for Bnei Yisrael and asked for them to be helped. So that's the Megalamukos' opinion. The Oznayim Latorah says, that also makes a lot of sense. That way everyone would know they were lying while Kalev and Yoshua were telling the truth. Aside from that, not no one... That they wouldn't be able to continue disparaging the land or try to convince others to be on their side. If they were dead, nobody would be able to listen to them. It makes sense to him that they must have died right then and they never had a chance to do anything else. Again, I don't find it to be a convincing argument because it could have started the punishment then and it could have gotten worse and worse for 40 straight days or 30 days altogether. Either way, regardless, this is a pretty horrible punishment. Now, I do want one last thing. One last thing that I want to ask everybody for is if you know of any other answer as to how to understand the tongue hanging out from their body and maggots coming from the tongue and going inside their stomach or vice versa, I want to hear it. I tried everything I could. I spoke to six different rabbeim of mine to ask them where they got this idea, right? People that also do dafyomi. I went over to dafyomi guys and I was like, you know the Gemara and Sota, we just did it not too long ago in dafyomi and daflamet hey, what is going on with this? How did you understand it? And they all were quoting, here's what Art School says. I don't care what Art School says. Art School is amazing and they do amazing things. But is there any other shot in this Gemara? Because to me, this Gemara is one of the most confusing Gemaras I have ever seen. If anybody else has an answer, I definitely, definitely want to hear it.
Okay, so I am looking for that. Shkarek, everybody. Let's stop tomorrow. Have a good Shabbos.